Hey, are you looking to upgrade your key life areas and evolve to a higher level of existence? To practically harness personal growth and spirituality in a crazy, busy, imperfect world? Then you've come to the right place. My name is Prash and this is Urban Spirituality, the show which uniquely fuses ancient wisdom with contemporary self-growth and spiritual disciplines to deliver value-adding tools, traits, and insights to help you unleash your fullest potential. We always keep it real, featuring authentic, unfiltered dialogue with guests from diverse backgrounds to inspire, entertain, and enlighten all who listen. So get ready for your dose of urban spirituality. Be present and let's dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Urban Spirituality with your host Prash K. And with me today, somebody I've been trying to track down for some time, uh, but she's been a hard person to get hold of. Somebody who I think uh, you will really enjoy because she presents a view on an important topic that I think a lot of us grapple with. And I think this is going to be a really good interview for you to get your teeth into and learn something really valuable. Allow me to introduce our special guest today. Tatiana Kasesinov was trained as a biomedical researcher and spent loads of years as a strategic consultant in biotechnology and scientific institutions. She's had a huge formal career in the world of science while maintaining, however, a passion for holistic and mind-body connection work. In fact, in 2017, her passion led her to retrain as a clinical hypnotherapist and a transformational therapist. As of last year, she launched a wonderful podcast called London Heal, dedicated to empowering people to take back control of their healthcare through knowledge and educated choice in all aspects of body, mind, and spirit. There's so much more to say, but I'm going to let her say it herself. Please welcome the wonderful Tatiana Kasasinov. Prash, thank you so much for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Sorry it was so difficult, but uh, there you go. life is really, really, really <laughs> glad to have you. Now, Tatiana, you're back in London and um, your, your feet are firmly planted on terra firma for a little while at least. Tell us what's been happening on your, in your world recently and then let's take a walk down memory lane and share a little bit. Well, uh, my main focus of attention these days is, is the podcast, which I am really, really enjoying because I get to learn so much. Um, and instead of me spending hours and hours sitting in front of my computer, I get to talk to the most interesting people who tell me all that they know and share that with the world, which I, I hope is, is really useful. And um, I find it so amazing. I love technology, the fact that I can be sitting here in London and there's somebody over the other side of the earth right. who has an internet connection and they're listening and learning. I mean, what could be better than that? I think that's one of the advantages that technology pr pr Absolutely. provides Absolutely. us. Um, and when using yeah. moderation, what a, what a beneficial thing. Um, yeah. I want to I, I rewind the clock a little bit. The Tatiana that's sitting with us here has <laughs> had such a varied history. I know that you've spent time in many countries. Give us a little bit about your background and your training and happen highlight or two along the way, please. Sure. Well, I'll quote my mother. My mother always used to say that I was a salad because I have very mixed origins. So okay. my mother was of, of Greek extraction. My father was of, of Russian extraction. I was born and brought up in the UK. <laughs> And uh, so I've never really felt at home anywhere, but I also feel at home everywhere, which is nice. great. 
Um, and that led me off to, to go and explore the world. So um, after training here, in, in, I did my first degree in chemistry and um, my second degree uh, also in chemistry, but with, right. a, with a much more kind of medical orientation. And then I did BTA, which is what all scientists were doing back in the 90s, and some of them still are, which was been to America because that mm -hmm. was a CV. And at the time, that was absolutely, and probably still is, you know, the place where, where great, absolute cutting-edge work is done. So I was very lucky to uh, get a postdoc at the National Institutes of Health in the U.S. Washington, in, right? Uh, in Washington, D.C., yeah. It's actually technically in Maryland, but... Uh, so I was there for five years, and um, that's uh, where I met my husband. My husband is German, so the next stop was to move to Germany, and I arrived in the country not speaking a word of German and not knowing anybody, so that was my first task, was to try and yeah. somehow get to grips with this impossible language. Um, I think there's a great quote, actually, um, I forget now who it was by, that said that... Uh, you know, Germans are a useful and easy language to learn, but it takes a lifetime to do it. And I can, I can only confirm that. So, um, so I was living in Germany for the last 20 odd years mm -hmm. and uh, made the move back to the UK about three years ago. Right. Okay. And then since then you've been back in the UK. Exactly. Tell us if there are in your times in, the, in, in all these years of any, powerful epiphanies or any breakthroughs that you had i mean i know you mentioned that you were in a a very mechanistic um traditional academic career and background but at, at some stage that kind of switched and then you kind of got into alternative um healing modalities and so forth are there any particular you know standout highlights or epiphany moments that you could share with us a series of them, I would say, actually, maybe not, nothing singularly profound, but I've always actually had an interest in, in natural health. And in fact, before I even went to study chemistry as, a, as an undergraduate, um, I had actually wanted to be a chiropractor because my mother had had very, very, very serious back problems for many years and had been told that she would have to have an operation and then end right. up in a body cast. She went to a chiropractor and after two or three sessions was perfectly fine. And I thought this was magic. So I really wanted to do that. Back in the 90s, that was not an easy thing to do because there was no funding and I simply couldn't afford to pay for private ed education just wasn't an option so I decided to go down the more classical route and pursue my interests in science and I thought well you know the chemistry of life you would think I would go for biology but actually I decided to go for chemistry and um, I think the next probably uh, um, major impact that that had on me was when I was doing my um, PhD a lot of the work that I was doing was on animal studies and one day I just woke up and I thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't kill things. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be studying the biology and the chemistry of life and I'm doing it on dead things. <laughs> right. And um, that was just so intensely profound that um, 
I actually ended up finishing my PhD with help from my lab mates because I couldn't you do this. Couldn't do I mean, yourself, I did yeah. total phobia. I mean, I'm really not joking. And then when I went to the US to, to uh, um, interview for a postdoc there, that was the very first thing is I said was I'm not working on live animals. And, and that was great because I got to actually work on cell cultures, which was fine. Um, another kind of epiphany I've had um, I guess was also realizing at some point that I had gone quite down the road of a scientific career, but I always felt like something was missing. You know, I felt like this wasn't the whole story. This wasn't the whole picture. And I wanted to go back and discover that for myself. So that was why I decided to turn my back on, on my science career mm. and you what I was really interested in. And in fact, it, it was something that I had actually always tried to direct my research towards. I was only a researcher for about three or four years. I wasn't a particularly good researcher because my my mind is 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 not really set up for that very kind yeah, of we'll, like focus. We'll, focus we'll focus come to that in a minute. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just jump from ideas and I find so much interesting and I was always changing things. And, uh, you know, I was looking, trying to, to establish a neuronal connection between the, the nervous system and the immune system in terms of things mm. like alert disease. And um, so, you know, 20 years later, I kind of revisited this topic and I just thought, you know, if you really want to find out about how important the nervous system is and mm. the mind is, because that's where it starts with the brain, go and find out. So that was my trigger to go and, to, and retrain. Yeah. To retrain. And so obviously fast forward, you retrained. Um, let me, let me ask you this. You retrained, obviously you're practicing in a different way to what you were before. What would you say is your mission? What, what, what gets you up in the morning? What drives you in these days? I think really, um, you know, we, we spoke a little bit offline about this. I, I view my role as, as a, um, a guide, perhaps is the best mm. word. You know, I have an absolute fascination for finding things out. I, I love to learn and I love to learn about this subject because it's one I'm totally passionate about, which is, you know, how does the mind, the body and the spirit all work together? Because it clearly does. You know, there's the mind never told the body they weren't connected and the spirit. Right. Same thing, you know, um, it's it's the way modern science has gone. But I think even science these days is having to get to grips with not only the mind, but consciousness as well. Completely. Bruce and, Lipton, biology, I believe, all of those. And also even very, very, I mean, a lot of people would criticize those kind of scientists and, and, mm. and label them pseudoscience, which I think is very insulting. But, you know, the whole study of things like epigenetics and, and so on and so forth. Completely. I mean, I was just reading a scientific paper this morning that pretty categorically proves that things like IBS are best therapied with hypnotherapy. So gut-brain connection and so on and so forth. So, you know, we are really complex creatures. And that's really what fascinates me is to, to discover how that all works. And I right. like to find these things out. And then, as I said before, the best way of finding things out is yes. to ask the people who know. And I like to give that information on to other people. So, um, you know, I pride myself um, in, in being able to kind of look at the big picture. So that's, that's your passion. That's what drives you. And I know that there are a number of areas that you really have 
some good exposure and experience in uh, both with your private clients and through the work that you do. So let's talk about the hot topic of today's interview. Let's talk about resilience. Let's start by perhaps um, with two questions. Firstly, can we define what you consider or regard resilience to be for people? And secondly, why should these viewers, anybody who's tuning in, why should they give a damn about resilience? What is it? What does it even mean for them? It's a complicated topic because we are complicated people. Um, In fact, one of my guests just a couple of weeks ago was uh, Professor David Peters, and he actually heads up the Centre for Resilience at the University of Westminster here in, in London. And he defines resilience as the ability to not only bounce back, but to bounce forward. And I I love that definition because I think that's exactly the point is that, you know, we are not static bits of metal that when you bend them backwards and forwards after a while, they snap, you know, they become harder with each bend and then they snap. Well, we don't do that. We, as human beings, have the unique capacity to adapt and learn and actually the next time we're confronted with the same issue, we should be able to not only deal with it, but actually even land one step in front of where we landed before. So it's in my sort of definition, it's the ability to deal with adversity and come back better than you were before. That makes Um, a lot of sense. uh, I use this, um, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. I I love the way you described it because uh, on one of the retreats we ran, I, I kind of described resilience as human plasticity. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It is. You know, we talk about neural plasticity and stuff, but this is human plasticity. Um, we're acknowledging exactly. that humans are adaptable and able to get stronger. Wolf's law um, and all these other scientific terms about becoming back stronger. It's not just about being mended and kind of bouncing back. It's, it is, is as you say, um, as your guest says, bouncing forward. Exactly. Exactly. And that works on many levels. You know, I mean, the key f- is emotional resilience, because mm. without that, you have nothing. Um, but it's also physical resilience. The two right. things go hand in hand, you know, because, uh, you know, you can't separate these, these things out. So, well, yeah. why should we care? Okay, you can't separate these things out. Um, but, fun, you know, I mean, break it down for us. I mean, bigger picture view. What does it mean to us if our resilience isn't high? You know, what's the impact? Why should we well, what invest happens, effort into this? Right. If you don't have resilience, you give up. You know, it's that simple. If you're confronted with a situation which you find crushing and overwhelming in the same way as an animal experiences this kind of fold experience, you know, the same thing happens to human beings that are not right. resilient. They become overwhelmed, mm-hmm. they become destroyed and they fold um, from one end of the scale you can see that as, you know, oh, this didn't work, so I'm a failure, so I'm no good at this, so I'm never going to try it again, all the way to really serious disease, you know, where people can literally collapse and not be able to get up and deal with the world, you know, as a result of trauma and so on and so forth. Right, people sinking um, into depression, a lot of, um, um, there must be other psychological um, um, disorders, uh, NPDs, other conditions that come about due to a lack of um, 
mental fortitude or resilience, I guess. Uh, that kind of really makes a lot of sense. People who may be slipping into depression, there must be a scale, right? That, um, you know, some people get mildly depressed and just kind of bounce back out. Others actually, the same incident takes them into a deeper state of depression and therefore the resilience is broken more easily. I mean, this is powerful stuff. Yeah, it is really powerful stuff because I think it's essential to survive modern life. Um, we we live in a in a way that we have never ever ever had to live before. I mean, Homo yeah. sapiens sapiens has been around in this form for about two hundred thousand years. Right. So if you were to meet the first, you know, uh, Homo sapien, you wouldn't actually be that different to them. And yet, you know, there's a huge difference between wandering the savanna and you know trying to live in the middle of central London. I mean, <laughs> you know. Right. We, we have exposure to to a bombardment of assaults in in all senses of the word right you know, from chemical to physical to emotional to all sorts of assaults that we have to not only deal with but we have to actually try and survive and thrive and that's really that's really hard work mm-hmm. and we don't all manage to do that unfortunately and that's so massive. Yeah, it's that, something yeah. that is absolutely central to that ability that that you just don't let life crush you but you actually can flower i love that i love that what gets me what gets me excited here is um the description that you gave i mean talk about somebody living you know thousands of years tens of thousands years ago our ancestors may have had to deal uh had it almost in one sense better off in as much as they had a very small, finite, and clearly defined set of predators or threats that they had to deal with. So yes, the threats may have been bigger, right? Saber-toothed tiger or you know, some predator out there trying to attack them, some animal, um, or other tribes trying to attack them, whatever. But they were clearly defined and finite. You, know, you could count the number of threats maybe on one hand. Exactly. These, and, and, they were very, and, and they were very overt. You, could, you knew what they were. Here in the modern day, we've got all kinds of threats. They're not just human threats. We've got, we've got, we've got information threats, digital threats, threats coming through media. And, you, and, and, and a lot of them are very, very incognito. They're happening right now. We don't even realize they were actually being adversely influenced by media, by technology, by people, by society, by conditioning. And therefore, we're getting all kinds of threats and assaults upon us. So it's almost like the number of predators is has has exponentially grown and many of them we don't even recognize and yet they're on our ass did i say that they're on our case all day tatiana (laughs) what the hell are we supposed to do tatiana you're absolutely right and i mean the point is as well that that's actually more important is that these things are constant there's no respite there's no Um, respite you don't go into your cave and hang out until the next day where you go hunting for your food or whatever it's happening all the damn time Exactly the term that David Peters uses is, you know, we, we've got to find cave time, you know, yeah. um, and that's exactly the point. You know, I mean, if you if you think about something like a gazelle that's out in the in the, you know, grazing and the lion, the predator comes, you know, and attacks one of the of the herd and brings it down. The rest of the gazelles go, whoo, threat over. I got three days grace while he digests that. I think I'll just go back to wherever I, you know, the threat's over and this whole kind of stress system, you know, we hear a lot these days about adrenal fatigue and so on and so forth. And 
you know, getting out of this fight and flight. And most of us never get out of fight and flight. We are in it 24 hours a day. You know, how many people do you know wake up and said, oh, I had this dream of, you know, we were even doing it in our sleep. We're doing we it in our sleep. Fighting. Our sleep's ruined. You exactly. know, people's sleep is just ruined because they're not exactly. actually getting quality sleep. They, they can't get into REM. They can't get into deep sleep. Dreams exactly. are disturbing them. Um, all kinds of things are happening. So even in our sleep, I mean, how true is that, Tatiana? Tatiana, that is, it happens for so many of us. I think most of us exactly. can relate to that, folks. Exactly. So this constant bombardment of, of stress is is essentially the problem but the stress is not going to go away so what choice do you mm. have you have one choice how do you deal with it how do you deal with resilience uh, sorry how do you deal with the stress and how and therefore the question is um it's not a question of do i need resilience in my life the question is how do i strengthen my resilience exactly. and how do i live in such a way that the stresses that i uh that i face are mitigated uh to a degree um, neutralized or better handled kind of one of these three responses what would you say absolutely i think all of those is probably true and um, there's a lot of evidence to show that people have different degrees of resilience um and of course that all starts way early on so you know right little baby is born onto this planet and they are resilient you know they are they are ready to take on life and we make sure that doesn't happen awfully quickly <laughs> with yeah. often the best of intentions but you know that's where it starts if if a child is exposed to just normal parents who are probably trying to do the best they can and coming from the right place a child will learn very very quickly i have to bend and shape myself to please these people because i am 100% dependent on them for my existence you know human babies especially don't even get up and walk straight away like most animals do you know they lie down for a couple of years until they can walk they can't move they can't feed themselves they are a hundred percent dependent on everything around them and also the other thing of course is that children very small babies are absolutely not capable of logical thought that doesn't develop until much later on they're pure emotion they are just pure think uh, feeling machines that's all they do they pick up sensory information like a sponge hmm. the other factor to consider is a it's actually a, an a adaptive process of, of evolution and it's a great thing in taken in context is that we absorb information without a filter at that age absolutely everything that we experience mm. goes straight in because if you think about a child being born as i said in the center of london or in another place or out in the country their environment is completely different we we are you know human beings are ubiquitous we're all over this planet we live in every single corner of mm. this world and every environment is different so nature says well okay i'm going to give you a, a set of ground instincts if you mm. like to know how to survive but the rest you have to learn because it has to be relevant to your environment and so we come in and we learn we just absorb everything the problem is that that affects your resilience that hugely affects your resilience because depending on the kind of environment that you have depending on the kind of feedback that you get from your parents, your caregivers, your school, you know, all of these things. This affects the way that we see ourselves and the way that we become resilient or 
not as the case may be. So that's kind of like the root of all of this. And that's oftentimes where a lot of people have to start. Um, because if you don't always, you don't always need to go back and dig up the past. I'm not actually a great lover of that because I think one should look forwards. But sometimes right. there, are, there are real stumbling blocks which a person cannot get over until they go back and dig it up. And then you have to reframe everything that you learned as a child and make it work for you as an adult. Because what we just don't appreciate is that these, these things that we learn very, very early on are like a blueprint. They are our blueprint for the way we spend the rest of our lives. It governs our self-concept. It, it defines, our, it defines okay. our beliefs. It, it, it affects our values, the choices that we make, our behavior, therefore. And all the ramifications um, based on our self-concepts, on our belief and values are exactly. driven by those experiences from the past. So until we go back, and it's almost like rewriting the code right? You're, exactly. When you reframe rewriting, you, you know, you know, you're, you're, you're not going back in the past. I kind of say this sometimes, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with looking at the past at your past, but just don't live there. Exactly. So to go back into the past to do a little bit of forensic work to ascertain where certain, um, traumatic or hard experiences occurred that may have shaped your resilience levels today would be a good, maybe a good starting point to see how you can then go back and, as you say, reframe and rewrite the meaning of those incidences to help almost strengthen your resilience. Is that part of this process? That is, that is most definitely part of the process. Um, and, um, you know, I think also what is really central to that is, is the fact that a lot of people don't realize that that's even possible. Hmm. You know, we think that we are our thoughts we think that we are our emotions um and the very so fact true. that actually you can control those mm. and determine them and limit them is actually really something which is kind of quite a bit of a light bulb experience for a lot it's of people. an epiphany i mean i, I think it's cured yeah. i'd go as far as saying it's curative in, in yeah. and of itself just to realize that you are not your thoughts that you know we are you know we we are a you know we are greater we transcend that which you know we, people should realize when they say they say my mind nobody says i might they say my mind my thoughts in other words we are the possessor of our i'm getting philosophical sorry tatiana i love We're the possessor of our thoughts we, <laughs> our, it's it's our mind it's our thoughts and if the moment we recognize it that the mind and the thoughts therefore um, are not us and that we are the owner of those we then start to take ownership and responsibility i, I know you're going to get into the whole responsibility responsibility thing in money. I mean that that's that that isn't that kind of the first step there as you say then. It is. It is. It's understanding that. And responsibility is a big issue and one has to be really, really careful here because mm. I think a big trap of of responsibility is um avoiding blame. Because just because you're responsible mm. for yourself, it doesn't mean if you make a mistake and if things go wrong, you're to blame, you know. Um, Yes and no. You know, I have to be really, really, uh, I really have to emphasize this point because I see this oftentimes with, with clients that they maybe have taken that step to accepting responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings, but then they beat up on themselves so hard mm. because of that, that it ends up being counterproductive. And that mm. is not resilience. That's quite the opposite of resilience. Kind of wears resilience. yourself down, right? It could weigh exactly. your confidence down. 
Exactly. It's like Jung, you know, talked about many uh, moons ago about the shadows. You know, we have to kind of embrace our shadows. You know, humans don't come onto this world being perfect. That would be thoroughly boring and a waste of time. You know, that's not what evolution is interested in. Evolution is interested in moving forwards, in growing and expanding and experiencing. And that involves good and bad, plus and minus. Everything's always a homeostatic control. And that means that everything's always dynamic. So don't go beating up on yourself because it's counterproductive. And, you know, one of the things that my my mentor and teacher for for hypnotherapy and RTT, rapid transformational therapy, Marissa Pia, always stipulates that you know that that's a very important factor that you have to remember that um you know you are it i i actually term it a chain of pain you know it's i like like that you you can't blame yourself and you can't blame your parents but that doesn't mean that you have to dissect out the emotion that's carried with all of these things from the facts you know if you were abused as a child you were abused as a child and that's it you know deal with it deal with it beat beat your parents up and don't or don't apportion yeah or or yourself exactly and the words and pictures that you say to yourself are the most powerful of all so that's marissa's message and it's really valuable because it's very true yeah, I just wanted to add to that, um, what you've just said there, Tatiana. I guess um, um, I'm reminded of an old Mike and the Mechanics song. For those of you who are listening and are old enough to remember Mike and the Mechanics, what a band. Um, they had a song called A House of Many Rooms. And the whole song was where um, uh, Paul Carrick sings about, he goes, I am a house of many rooms. I have my failures i have the mistakes i've had the wrongdoings i've done to people and then i've had my joys the people that i've helped the triumphs that i've had he says i'm a house in many rooms and therefore um as jung puts it the shadow self you know i i I think the lesson here is to recognize that we're not here the lesson is to not eliminate the shadow self it's to recognize and acknowledge the shadow self and allow us to and kind of learn to integrate that shadow self as part of us acknowledgement is the first part not not killing not cessation of that shadow self would you say acknowledge accept part of that set of self and then as you say expect accept responsibility without beating yourself up i think that's another powerful message here to take away because if you're beating yourself up let's let's get this clear we're weakening our resilience the very thing we want to strengthen. Completely. Yeah. So, um, and as I said, you know, yeah. your mind actually responds to, to the, the words you say to yourself and the pictures you build in your head much more than it does to actually what comes from the outside world because, okay. Mm. You know, other people, you, you, don't. so if you look in the mirror in the morning and go, God, yeah, you know, you look uh, terrible. Yeah. You know, you believe that you're putting it in, you're putting it straight in, right? Because the subconscious has no filter, right? The conscious mind speaks, it's just the programmer. The subconscious is the hard disk program, program, you're rubbish, and the subconscious is taking it in, no filter, just records it. And what's that doing? That's not doing any good. So, so are we saying another, so another profound lesson that we talked about the shadow self acknowledging it? Are we saying another profound lesson is? Um, become more choosy about the language we use upon ourselves to interpret the incidents from the past and the incidents that are happening in our life right now, both. Is that part of this? Absolutely. I think that's absolutely essential. And, and, you know, when I say things, I don't beat up on yourself, you know, you cannot and should not 
try to ignore negative emotions. I, I hate that, that, that that's really out there at the moment, that we're all supposed to be happy all of the time. Well, not possible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just not possible. The question is exactly what we talked about with the past. Positive how, psychology how took us on a garden path. Positive psychology in the Western world has taken on a, on, a, on a garden path that tells us that all we're going to see is beautiful roses, smell great fragrances, and see great scenery. Well, guess what? It forgot about the fact that there's thorns along the way. There's weeds exactly. along the way. And that's the Eastern tradition, you know. And for me, being brought up in that, you know, the Eastern tradition is all about that, that you embrace those other sides of you, you know, work through the emotions, sit through it. Exactly. Exactly. Feel them because you Feel know, if, them. You don't, if you don't then, and you suppress them, then they're going to come out somewhere else. And if you ignore them for long enough, they're going to come out big they're and gonna... strong. And before you know it, you're ill. And, you and your resilience and, is weakened. And your resilience is, you know, at that point, not only your mental resilience, but your, but your physical, physical. Like breakdown of the immune system. And, and, and exactly. as you said earlier, let's, let's remind our audience here, folks, that there's a powerful connection between our immune system, uh, as well as our other systems, the, the sympathetic, paras parasympathetic, endocrine system. Mm -hmm. All of these are connected with our brain biology and our mind, and therefore what we're putting in, in our head and our brain, I think, as you were saying off uh, before this interview, has a profound effect on our body and our health. And therefore, mm -hmm. we could weaken our resilience if we're not careful. Exactly. So exactly. we have the power, is, is what you're saying. We have the we power. Do. It's, it's, when, we do we have don't the need power. to give this away to doctors and uh, other, you know, and people out there, our parents or blame others. It's within our hands to strengthen our, yeah. our, and I our mean own that, resilience. You know, modern society does not encourage that. Quite the contrary. We, we live in right. a society which is totally yeah. focused on disempowering everybody. You know, we think that our healthcare belongs in the hands of our doctors. I mean, how many people have got even the vaguest idea of what's going on in their body. And I'm not talking about understanding this from a medical perspective. We're just not tuned in anymore. You know, no, people don't so recognize true. symptoms that they, they feel something, they'll ignore it or they don't, they can't interpret it correctly because right. everything belongs in the hands of a doctor. We think that our education belongs solely in the hands of our educators. You know, we believe that our careers and, and our progression in life belongs in the hands of our bosses. Wow. Take your so power true. back. Take your power back. You know, yeah, you're weakening your resilience just by doing that, right? We're exonerate. We're giving away our power. Our resilience is weakening because we're giving it away to everybody. Um, exactly. which, which is, and let me touch on that. I, I wanted to ask this very point here. You know, we're living in a world where people, a lot of people therefore feel self-entitled. There's a whole, you know, self-entitlement movement going on. Everybody thinks that, you know, the world owes it to them to give it to them on a goddamn plate. You know, I'm speaking a little um, casually here, but you know, a lot of people out there the do feel like, The millennial problem. Yeah. yeah, the millennial <laughs> problem. And then you've got the cotton wool culture. Let's talk about that for a second. What's your views on the cotton wool culture? I call it the cotton wool culture. It's this whole goddamn civilization of people who are fragile and being blanketed. And what's going on there, man? Given, given the prize for taking part, yeah. Um, it's sort of like an overreaction, I think, perhaps. That's it's, a curse, it's a right? It's, it's got to be a curse. It is because it's not What's the real going world. On? You know, you, it's not the real world. I mean, we're talking about resilience. Resilience is, um, you know, perhaps it's the greatest of Buddhist teachings, isn't it? It's accepting what is. 
Um, you know, oh, no. you don't have to be, you don't have to be happy with what is, and you may want to go out and change it. But for that moment, you have to accept what is without judgment. So true. And, so true. You know, if you, if you cotton wool people, you are never, ever going to allow that person to develop resilience, to deal with adversity because right. you prevent them from it's being exposed to it. And if they are exposed to it, you put the blame and the responsibility way outside. It's their fault. It's this, it's society. It's whatever, whatever, whatever. Don't go there because it's not actually doing you any good. Yeah, totally. I mean, like you and I remember, right. I mean, I know I do, and I'm sure you probably do. You know, like when we were kids, right. uh, We didn't have any electronic gadgets back in those days. Okay. Maybe the odd little you know, Sinclair Spectrum or something called Commodore 64. Hey, most of our time was spent outside. We bust our, we, we, we fell down, we scratched ourselves, we were bleeding on our knees, you know, we broke a little thing here or there. Our parents weren't mollycoddling us. They're like, come on, you know, they didn't treat us with this mollycoddling thing. You know, we were allowed to get, nowadays, you know, they won't let their kids out on the street. People are like, oh, don't go out. You, you, something might happen. You'll get injured. You know, kids are monitored like, uh, you know, 24 seven in their own house. You're not allowed to just run around. We were, we were playing by the train tracks. We were running around all over the place. We ran out. We've been all right. We haven't gone crazy. What about the fact that, you know, your pet died, your grandfather died. And nowadays everybody's like, they don't want to, they, they don't want to even acknowledge those things for the kid. They just give them a PlayStation or give them a game and say, here, distract yourself. Something sad happens here. Play with technology, play with my iPhone here, instead of actually yeah. sitting down and talking to them about the hard things. Absolutely. And what I think the hell? What's happened? That is because we've become so disconnected from our inner worlds. You know, we are, we're, everybody's living out here. You know, we try to fix and change everything out here. Out here. Um, and out here is not, it's where, not where it's at. It's not where the party's happening. You know, it's so in true. here. And yeah. if, you, if you shift back, I mean, obviously, you know, you don't want to spend all of your life in here either because there is right. a world out there and we're supposed of to course. take part in it and, and experience it. And that's the joy of being alive. But, you know, you, you have to find a balance between those and you can't blame and fix and protect everything. It's not going to help you. You have to learn how to deal with life and not only deal with it, but actually Sometimes, in fact, oftentimes, I can't tell you how many times I've come across people that have had the most awful things happen to them, that when they've worked through them and have been resilient and have come out the other end, they will turn around and say, you know what, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Hmm. You know, that's resilience. That's taking something which is adversity, which is going through it, feeling the pain, experiencing it, and then knowing that you come out at the end stronger than you were when you went in at the beginning. And that would never have happened if you hadn't have had that experience. Now, of course, nobody likes bad things to happen. And, you know, luckily for most of us, really bad things don't always often happen. But, you know, not that you'd believe that if you watch the news. That's another one of my huge, huge tips, by the way, which is don't watch the news. I love that. I'm going to get (laughs) two more. Turn it off. Turn it off. Tip number one, don't watch the news because it's just... Don't don't do it. I mean, every single one of us wants to go out there and be a well-informed person and feel like we you know, got our finger on the pulse of what's going on. But think about it. You know, newspapers, TV programs, whatever, whatever, they're only going to sell if they've got bad news. And we have a society which is now running scared. 
They are running. Everybody is terrified of everything. This is not a good place to be. And you don't need to be terrified of everything. And the more terrified you are, the more these things are going to happen. Because how much of our decision making and policy making is based in fear? You know, it's resilience is not being fearful. It's quite the opposite. It's saying, holy crap, that was not a good thing that I just had to deal with, or I may have to deal with, but I'll get through it. You know, I'm going to get a strategy together. I'm going to find a way of how to deal with it because this is life, you know? I mean, of course, every now and again, something really dramatic and dreadful is going to happen. And God forbid it's any one of us, but you know, that's something that we just can't take account for. But most of the stuff that we view as cataclysmic is really not, you know, it just isn't going to kill you. When you're sitting in your car driving down the highway and somebody cuts you up, they're not putting a gun to your head. They really aren't, you know, it's, it's, but we react that way. It's, it's all overreacting. Because we're all running scared. We're you running know? scared and it's weakening it's our resilience. Not, it's not a good place to be. Okay, so cut down on our news source. Um, give us two more. <laughs> give us two more. You want two more. Okay, I can give you, I could give you three more. Which three more, that. fantastic. Go on, one more, a bonus one. First of all, I think as, as, a, as a meditation and mindfulness expert, you'll appreciate this is, is just learn to monitor what you're thinking and feeling. And you'll begin to realize very, very quickly that when you think something or when you feel something, there's something or someone observing that that's actually noticing that. Who's doing the noticing? (laughs) That's you. So you're not your thoughts and you're not your feelings. Your feelings are real. You know, if you if you experience something and you get a rush of emotion, be it fear or love or joy or anger, those emotions are real. But you can decide yeah, how long those take place and you yeah. can separate yourself from them. You can feel them. You can let the emotion go through you and then you can say, OK, done. I put that to bed. You understand where it comes from. You've been able to move yourself away. Another way of doing that is, is, for example, in an argument. You know, if you get into an argument with somebody, just step back mentally for a second and breathe. Just take a deep breath and listen to what you're saying and listen to what the other person's saying and ask yourself, why am I reacting this right. way? Why, why are they triggering me this way? And, and don't let yourself indulge in that cascade of, of you know, because it just builds and builds and builds, builds and builds. And, builds. Yeah. and you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. So, you know, listen to what you're thinking and listen to your and look at your emotions. Don't judge them. Just observe them and notice where they come from. And the more practiced you get at that, the better you'll become Absolutely. at anticipating them and being able to regulate them because you know another part of resilience is self-regulation that's really what it's about it's learning to self-regulate um another tip that i find incredibly useful is what i call random acts of kindness Mm. you know sometimes when we are going through the worst times in our life we become really self-centered you know, we focus in on our own feelings and our own thoughts so much that we can't kind of break out of that pattern. And yeah. one of the easiest ways to do that is to actually go and do something nice for someone else. Now, that yeah. sounds all very Pollyanna, 
and mm. it isn't meant to be because it actually again what it does is it gives you a set of feelings and emotions which are nothing other than pure and positive mm. because there is nothing so rewarding as doing something good for someone else, you know, that just will fire off all of your pleasure centers at once, you know, from oxytocin to endorphins, the whole gamut. And it puts you back and it resets you so that you can then Love go that. back and clear with your, you know, your own crap with a, with a much better, you know, view on the world and, and more resilience and, a, and, a, and more really? energy. Um, there was one more, but I don't remember what it was. Oh, oh it'll come well, back to me. Well, <laughs> Um, as we bring ourselves to a close, I have a couple of quick fire questions. I hope you don't mind. Not at all. Okay. First one. I love asking this. If you were a superhero and you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, heavens. Uh, what would it be and why? I have no idea. I actually think we're all superheroes, to be honest. Okay. You know, um, this is not, this is really not part of that kind of molly coddling or, or softy speak. I actually think that we have, each and every one of us has enormous capacities which are totally mm -hmm. untapped. So perhaps if I was a superhero, that would be what it was. It would be to show other people how they can be superheroes because I actually think we all are. I like that. Be a candle and, sh and show others how they can light their own candle. I love it. Um, what would what advice if you had a time machine and could go back in time michael j fox style what advice would you give your 20 year old self uh lighten up <laughs> <laughs> i like it lighten take it up. easy take it easy um right, i was right. a very very intense young young woman um i think i'm a still a pretty intense adult actually but uh i i really did used to beat up on myself a lot um that comes from from my baggage my upbringing um right. you, like you, know, you said i had a yeah I, conditioning exactly conditioning. exactly i was i was taught self-responsibility sort of like you know not 101 but sort of phd grade uh, yeah. as a very young child and i think it was probably a little bit too much too much for me yeah. to handle and so i you know i blame myself for everything and yeah. uh, and and took on the responsibility of myself and everybody else's so yeah, i would I just say that. lighten up <laughs> that's that's, an, that's another episode i want to do at some stage as well dealing with achievement addiction so many of us um live that feel that suffer from it because we picked it up from somebody who wasn't even ourselves. Right. Worried it. Um, lastly, what's on your radar for 2019? You've talked about podcasts. Fill us in a little bit. What's on Tatiana? Yeah, it's building and growing um, the podcast and um, getting more information out there and also getting that information into other formats. So uh, there's a lot of ideas, none of which are really kind of completely ready to talk about, but um, there'll probably be a couple of courses coming out over over the next time um also making much more of an interactive community that's really important to me i think we Good. need to sit and talk about these subjects and exchange ideas because you know there's one thing i've learned throughout my own life and also doing doing all the shows with all the different guests is there's no one size fits all for no. anybody in anything and um and i think part of a way of being able to find what's right for you is actually talking about it and flipping ideas backwards and forwards and getting feedback so expanding the community that's that's all on the radar 
Good. I like that. And thank heavens for podcasts. Folks, did yeah, you know that the next to the US, the UK is the largest market for podcasts in the world after the US. 15%, a whopping 15% of the United Kingdom population listen to podcasts at least once a week. Can you believe that? And we're in a new and it's growing. Industry. And it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. Others have reached their saturation point, but this area is growing. So take advantage. Tatiana, where can we follow you? Where can we learn more about your podcast? Well, the best place is actually tune in and listen over on iTunes. Uh, podcast is, as you said, very kindly, London Heal. Um, it's a call to action, by the way. <laughs> if there ever and, was one, uh, London Heal. We need that. <laughs> Uh, so we're Excellent. up on, on iTunes, um, Stitcher, all of the other podcast platforms. You can Good find so. us anywhere over there. Uh, follow us on Facebook, also over at London Heel, Twitter and Instagram, same handle. And if you want to become a London Heel insider, then go over to LondonHeel.com because what I do offer, we have a lot of episodes which have a lot of facts and information, which is a bit difficult to hold in your head. And to save you the time, it's not a good business model for me, by the way, but to save you the time of re-listening to the episode or having to watch it or listen to it with a pencil and paper, we provide extended show notes for people who subscribe. No small, no small want, gift. No small gift. Yeah, no. it's a big gift and it's a lot of work for me, but I think it's, uh, if, it, if this stuff is going to be useful and meaningful, then, then it's required. So, Well... For the for for the ex researcher, you know, and biotechnology specialist who has now become a podcaster, to make it her mission to heal London and beyond. I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> I want London to heal itself. Actually, it's not my job. You know, I'll just take responsibility and develop its resilience. Exactly. Love it. Take back your power. Love it. So, folks, thank you for tuning in. Um, Tatiana, once again, I want to thank you. Uh, Yasu, uh, no, Afghanistan. Yeah. Spasiba. Um, <laughs> Did I get both I did, right? You get them all right. Uh, yeah, absolutely spot awesome. on. The um, one I have is Namaste. So. Namaste. <laughs> and that's how we're going to round off the episode, folks. That's Tatiana. It's myself, Prash K. Please, if you like what we're doing, follow, follow Tatiana. Check in her podcast. Obviously, check out our podcast, Urban Spirituality, the show, five-star rated, just like Tatiana's, right there on iTunes, Stitcher podcast, well, Windows platform and android platform so go listen learn take this stuff with you share and let us heal london and beyond together folks thank you so much prashke tatiana namaste hey folks thanks so much for listening i really hope you enjoyed this episode and as with all our episodes found something to inform inspire and empower you in your personal and spiritual journeys in life as always feel free to leave a little love for your ratings and comments subscribe and share it with those you care about and take your personal and spiritual evolution to the next level by joining us on one of our unique events workshops or retreats or taking advantage of our personal and professional coaching packages find out more about us at mantratherapy.co.uk i'm your host prash k this is urban spirituality and we will catch you on the next episode